Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am Adam Comero. I am joined by Joe Gaudio today. Duke is now 3-0 and after a, uh, a trouncing of uh, the team that I, I like to call Carkansas uh, or Carkansas, Central Arkansas. It's a pretty uh, stress-free win right there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Duke kind of as a general, um, how they've done over the last week with two games rather than spend too much time breaking down Arkansas because that, I mean, after a little bit, I actually just asked Joe uh, how he felt about the game. You said that you stopped watching at halftime. I actually kept watching because I'm a crazy person. As soon as the game ended, I started breaking down clips uh, to save. And before I get to you, I do want to say that I finally have uh, posted the first thing on the website, Duke, dukebasketballcorner.com. So it's kind of just a general intro. I'm not worried too much about the layout and design of the site. It's more just to kind of get a portfolio there and to just cover Duke all year. So there's going to be plenty more as much time as I have. I mean, I can't guarantee it'll be constant, but I'm going to post as much as possible. So again, that's dukebasketballcorner.com and uh, feel free to uh, check that out. There'll be plenty more to come, dukebasketballcorner.com. There is an intro posted right now, much more. All right, so Joe, like I said, I kept watching that uh, riveting uh, Duke game. They were up by like 100 in the second half. You probably did the more rational thing, and you switched over to Kentucky-Evansville. And what does Duke have? Like 149 straight non-conference wins at home at Cameron. The last one I know was uh, 2000 St. John's. I think the next closest is like Butler. They have something like 50 straight wins. It's kind of nuts. But it just goes to show you can't take anything for granted at home, non-conference, whoever you're playing. So Evansville with Walter McCarty used to play for Kentucky. They upset the Wildcats. I mean, a week after Kentucky upset what was then the number one team in the country, Michigan State. They, they're number one now, and they just got upset. So anything can happen. I don't really know how it occurs. So, Joe, can you give a quick opinion or summary of uh, exactly what happened and how Evansville pulled off a huge upset? They're ranked, I think they're ranked like 169 in Kempom. So I don't think many saw that coming. No, many didn't see that coming. So I saw – I was watching the Duke game, and I saw the score flash at the bottom at halftime, and it was uh, 34-30 Evansville. I'm like, okay, Duke's plus 30. Let me switch over and check this game. So I pop the game on. It's getting interesting. You know, sometimes you, a team has a really good first half, like Evansville will have a really good first half, and then just come out and get punched in the teeth to start the second half, and they just looked confident. So they were passing the ball well. They were they didn't turn the ball over. Every shot that Kentucky got, they got the rebound for Kentucky didn't get second chances. They just looked out of sorts. And every time they inched a little closer, Evansville hit a big shot. It, like it honestly sounds crazy, but yesterday they truly did. If, if you didn't, if you swap the jerseys, I wouldn't be able to tell which side was which. That's how much they Evansville played pretty much out of their minds. Now I was laughing. Um, I guess they play Indiana Kokomo next. Evansville is their next game. Indiana Kokomo. So, um, is that a is that a Beach Boys song? I it is. It's one of the Beach Boys. So, um, I was just shocked, and I I would flip back. I would I would check. I, I saw some a good part of the second half of the Duke game because I was flipping back and forth. But I just I don't know. I got hooked, and I watched what what seems to be they compared it to Buster Douglas beating Tyson. So that was the type of. Um, the type of upset it was so it was it was wild i mean it's very very rare when a team that's like a true mid-major goes on the road and beats i mean obviously kentucky was number one i mean just anyone like really high up there especially a blue blood i mean usually when you see that it's not even much but in the ncaa tournament obviously like the umbc thing but i mean that it's it's on a neutral court like to go into kentucky and do it Plus, I mean, just quick glance at the stats. Again, I'm not going to pretend like I knew exactly what happened. But usually when an underdog to that level pulls off a huge upset, they just they, – they're like unreal. They have like the game of their lives from outside. They hit all the threes. doesn't look like that happened. I mean, they, they were 9 of 30, and 
Nobody was really on fire. I mean, Evansville, I do know they have uh, Sam Cuncliffe. He used to, he transferred, I believe, from Kansas. So Evansville also had a bunch of Kansas supporters um, rooting for them to beat Kentucky just because, hey, once a Jayhawk, always a Jayhawk. So they're rooting for Sam Cuncliffe. But that's just, it, it's a crazy win. And, uh, hey, good for Evansville. And it's, it's really interesting how Walter McCarty, ex-Kentucky player, was the coach. Uh, I've mentioned this before on the pod. Coach K does not like to play his assistants. Now with uh, Capel and Bray in the ACC, there's no choice for them, but he avoids that as much as possible, but very interesting result. A a couple quick other things around the nation. Um, I mean, right after Duke played Kansas, I was like, there's no way Kansas, their offense is going to stick to what they were doing with the two bigs. It's just, it didn't work. Nothing about it looked natural, and it's not something where it's just like, hey, give it time. I think the next game, I don't even know who it was against, they played like four possessions with the two big lineup. They didn't score in any of them, and they switched it, and they did better, and it's never been the same since. So that was kind of like the most obvious thing. So I, I will taking nothing away from Duke. Duke was did an unbelievable job with the icing, with the big-to-big doubles. Yeah, I mean, that's an offense that it's tough without spacing to exist uh, these days. Um, another thing, uh, give myself a little pat on the back. Uh, just two games so far for Florida State. Devin Vassell looks good, and the potential is there. I mean, there's a long way to go, but for me to kind of nail the most improved player in the ACC award in the preseason, because last year I thought it was obvious at that time. I mean, that seemed way more obvious than Devin Vassell, but uh, Jordan Nawara, that's what I mentioned. He exploded. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just two games, but Vassell looks super good. Who knows who's going to win most improved player, but it looks like there is a chance. Another thing I noticed with the UNC bench I mean, now that uh, Armando Bacot, I think he had a, he got a concussion in their last game against UNC Wilmington, I believe. I mean, they have a really thin lineup, and I think I was mistaken because over the years, I've always just kind of gotten used to or convinced myself, or I don't know, that Roy always has a big bench, he uses big rotations, but it's kind of gotten less and less, not to like hit Duke's typical level. Last year, they were almost around like 300 out of three. 53 teams so pretty thin and now this year I think it's like they're like 320 out of 353 and with Bacot gone who knows if he'll be back for their next game it's crazy when you look at Duke it's almost like I see my my initial kind of take on this was like hey Duke and and uh, North Carolina they've switched now Duke has the big rotation North Carolina doesn't but then I looked it up and it's not all the way true I mean North Carolina has this is probably the thinnest rotation Roy's had. Have you noticed that with Carolina? Have you seen any other games? I did. Yeah, I watched their first game when they played Notre Dame. I watched a lot of that game, and I was just mesmerized by Cole Anthony, and, and didn't really pay attention or care too much about the depth of that roster because he masked any sort of issues that team may have had. But you are right. I mean, they're not particularly they're particularly thin around um, with Bakeau, and then. You know, they have Gareth Brooks, and to be honest, they have the the transfer. I forget, I can't think of his name right now. They have a transfer to well, Pierce. Manley's injured too. It's just their front line is super thin. Yeah, and Pierce. I think the the other kid name was that could step out and shoot it a little bit. He was a transfer from yeah, Justin Pierce. Yeah. So I just yeah, they're not they're not very deep in terms of that, and they just I don't know they don't they don't have a look of a traditional North Carolina team under Roy. I mean, the thing with them is. I mean, Cole Anthony, all respect. I mean, I predicted him as ACC Player of the Year. I, but when I was talking to Brant Wilkerson New, when I did the North Carolina kind of preview type of podcast there, I said, like, Cole Anthony's not, like, the biggest, sturdiest, muscular guy. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can develop a number two sometime because there's a lot on Cole Anthony's shoulders, and it could wear on him as the season progresses. I mean, there's... It's just, I mean, who else is going to be able to consistently create? And with a thin rotation, it's not like Duke, where now all of a sudden, hey, Duke can can lose a guy during a game, and they'll still be okay just because they just keep coming. North Carolina, it's not quite that way. So we'll see how that goes, but I just uh, found that pretty interesting right there. So now let's get to Duke. Counting the exhibitions, four starting lineups in five games. They had uh, Trey, Moore, Jack White, uh, Hurt, 
and Carey for, for uh, Northwest Missouri State, Fort Valley State, Trey Goldwire, Stanley, Hurt, and Carey, Kansas, that repeated, Colorado State, you had Trey, Stanley, AOC, Hurt, and Carey, and then Central Arkansas, Hurt actually did not start, and you had Trey, Stanley, AOC, White, and Carey. So it's just interesting how, I mean, a lot of stuff which Kay said preseason, we weren't quite sure about with the rotations and who's going to play when, but I mean, the only constants in that starting lineup so far have been Trey and Vernon Carey. I didn't see Hurt uh, ever coming off the bench during the season, but I can, he didn't look real confident against Colorado State. So came off the bench, Central Arkansas, Arkansas, kind of, I, I guess he knew he had to just bring the energy right then. I don't know if it was sending him a message or what. But Hurt looked much more aggressive. Obviously, it's easier to start racking up points when the team is is pretty much already up by a million when you come in. But still impressive nonetheless. So how, how do you feel about the starting lineup so far uh, and the fact that they're ever-changing? Do you think K is trying to send a message or it's just game-to-game game depending on the strategy and the matchups? Yeah, I mean, we haven't really had a team that we could do that with in a while, you know, in terms of being able to, oh, maybe maybe Jack White would be the right guy based on this matchup, or maybe Hurt would be the right guy based on this matchup. So I think it's Kay trying to find a little more of um, maybe some continuity and something that, you know, because it's important that we get off the fast starts with this team for, for obvious reasons, but um, I just, I don't know, I think maybe he's just trying to find the right um, the right combination of players, and you know he's using these games outside of Kansas so far. Obviously, it was our, our only real tough test, but he's just trying to use out these games now to get ready for for what's going to be the thick of the ACC season, and to, specifically to get ready for Michigan State. Yeah, I mean even before that, uh, the winner of Texas, Georgetown, and actually uh, sure. Arkansas, they 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 played it close with uh, Georgetown, so. It's interesting, but I mean, Duke is, it's a very different matchup for most teams. I mean, it's not like past Duke teams will, where they can come at you at times. I mean, this team, it's just, I will say, I mean, the next thing I had planned to say was just, again, watching like even garbage time, not garbage time, but like when you know it's kind of, I'll say when it's not close anymore, I think it's still really interesting to see some of these guys because it's not just meaningless you can see the development going on it's, it doesn't matter who they're against it's guys who just really it's a necessary thing and and you're interested to see just how they how they react play to play possession by possession somebody like i would say Wendell Moore i think these late game situations even when duke is up by a bunch i can see the development and and i can see him getting more and more comfortable and I, I know it's going to, or I believe it's going to pay off in the long run. I think a lot of people are still just watching as is right now. And they see he'll make a mistake. And they'll just say, hey, get him out of the game or whatever. But it's it's about, I've said before, kind of sacrificing a little bit. You take a step back now, two steps forward later. And just this team is, I don't know. I mean, I just love the fact that it's a real offense for the first time in years. I mean, that's terrific. Like, they're actually running real plays that look like real plays. It's not just spread them out <laughs> ISO. Like, it's just like, I'm like, oh, my God, this is how basketball really is. I, In a way, I can understand with K because in the NBA, when you have somebody that's so good like LeBron, it doesn't matter who's the coach. When LeBron is on offense, it's always going to end up kind of with him with the ball, just doing what he wants. And on a lesser level, I mean, a guy like R.J. Barrett, he's not like LeBron. But he's, he's kind of dominant in college basketball the same way. It made me really miss, what, while acknowledging and appreciating the talent of the last decade, it just made me miss kind of the older teams and how they work together. And it, it's interesting because some of the same people who missed that period of time now will look at the team and it'll be that type of team, but then they'll say they're not winning by enough or they don't look pretty enough. So it's kind of finding that middle ground. And with to me, 
I mean, there is no middle ground. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love the way they're running offense, even if it doesn't look beautiful every time. I love the swarming, extended, denial, overplay defense. It's just, it's fantastic. It's not just occasional pressing. I mean, they're really going full court. There's guys that just, I think some, because of the way the defense looks, they think Duke is trying harder. Then other times they go, this team is like, they get more of an effort. I don't think so. It's just there's different styles of play. And I think every Duke team plays. It's just, it. it's more visually obvious this year because of the way, I mean, I use the word swarming. They just get after you. And for me, it, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, on my intro article on the website, the first thing I did was I actually put the first defensive possession from the Colorado State game. I just showed it. It's like 20 seconds. And I said, like, hey, what's the point of watching this? It's like 20 seconds of just team defense, which ends up in a dead ball turnover. Like, how is that exciting? It's boring from for some people. But that's what's going to be Duke this year. You have to, like, almost grow to love that. I mean, I refer to it as kind of basketball porn right there. To watch how Cassius and Trey communicate together. How Vernon Carey, he's he's out there um, hedging out like old like old Mason Plumley type of thing, and everyone works together. Everyone's talking. It's just it's symbiotic. It's it's really it's just beautiful to watch for me, and it's just about how these guys are going to be able to reach their own ceiling, whatever that ceiling is. Like I I would I just want them to improve, but just the way they're playing. I don't know. This is a team that's for somebody who rewatches games and breaks down and tries to figure out what's going on. Duke teams recently, it's kind of it hasn't been the most exciting because I mean the players, some of the players have been really exciting, but the actual system, no. I mean it's this season, and there's so much to see. There's so much development. I love it, and uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if you're just watching to see if they win, how much they win by, or you're paying attention <laughs> to the close things. But when you watch every possession and break it down, I mean, that's where you see all the little things that, to me, just make it – this This is just a really fun, awesome team to watch. Well, first of all, I do care how many they win by and if they won. Like, that's definitely the most important thing for me at the end of the day is what I care about. But in terms of viewing pleasure, you're correct. I mean, there were teams back in the day that that were very fun to watch on the offensive end because they had all this talent, but defensively it was a circus out there. So this year it's fun to watch. They, They have the bodies to play this press and to play this physical style of basketball and stuff because they actually have, a guy that they could bring in for the other guy. Like the last years ago, it seems like, you know, I, I got to the point yesterday when we were up like 40, I'm like, okay, can we like get out of this press a little bit? Like it's working. We get it. But at some point call the dogs off. Like I know that that's what I miss about this basketball, the full court in like head in your, in your chest type of defense that they have not played in years. And this year it's different. This year is more, this is more Duke basketball than the flashy type of basketball. It's, I, I enjoy this style of basketball better because it's a lot harder to get a stop than it is to get a basket. Yeah, I mean, even the, even the teams, I would assume, though obviously I can't raise your mind, that you're talking about like in the late 90s and the mm-hmm. uh, early to mid-2000s, those teams did, they, they really did get after you on defense, but they also really didn't have much of a bench. So, like, it was just the same guy. Like, this, it's, they just keep coming. So it's very different than even those teams. It's not just five guys. I mean, I remember that 2000 team where, the, yeah, they got after you, but they would end up, like, dead tired because there was just literally no bench. And it, it got rough, but they would just, they kept coming. So now the talent may not be quite to that level, but it's more of a collective um, effort. So I, I just love it. In terms of, is somebody on Duke going to like get hurt every game? I mean, I'm not saying injured, which is a big difference. That Trey one scared me. 
but hurt. I mean, these guys, I mean, the trade one had nothing to do with kind of what I'm talking about. For yeah. those who don't know, I'm sure, you, I can't imagine you wouldn't, but Trey kind of just collided heads with an opponent from uh, Arkansas. And yes, I understand I'm saying, I'm saying Arkansas on purpose, it's Central Arkansas. But he collided heads and hit and got hit on the temple. I, I'm not sure if Kay's going to even play him on Friday. I obviously have no idea, but that looked pretty brutal. I mean, my first thought initially was definite concussion. I mean, he kind of mm-hmm. looked like uh, I didn't quite know where he was. I think somebody asked him, like, what his name was, and he says some different name. But I, I, what I'm talking about is just how hard these guys go. And, I mean, Javin Deloria is just <laughs> – like, he <laughs> – I've never seen anyone try as hard as him. Like, that guy, he's just flying everywhere. Like, everywhere. I mean, sometimes his own opponent is, like, kind of – friendly fire jack white took took the brunt of it one game but javin is just crazy javin is somebody i'll I'll talk i'll talk about him a little more in a bit but like he's just somebody he'll never be appreciated until a couple years after he's gone from dude and just oh man he's he's awesome he's awesome all right so here here's the question in terms of uh you just said why don't you call off the dogs okay are you are you a left lane or a right lane driver when I drive on the road? Yeah. Oh, I'm a left lean savage. I'm a savage on the road. Don't get me wrong about that. Like, I will. Um, yeah, I'm a left lean driver. Okay, well, I don't know if you heard during the game, but they actually, um, that was something that Kay had said in a pregame interview or press conference or something, where he said, I don't want these guys to be right lane. I want them to really always think left lane. So what you're saying about call off the dogs, hell no. I mean, this is that this is awesome to see where like they're just gonna keep coming. The, and he wants them to think left lane, always keep on pushing. And sometimes that's gonna involve taking risks. And I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be points in this season where I rip K for who he's playing at different times. But right now, it's pretty much perfect in terms of the way he's divide, divvying up the rotation and putting certain players in at certain times, giving them certain opportunities and absolutely letting them play through mistakes. Cause guys like, I mean, a window more, it's going to benefit him so much. You can already tell. And uh, I, I just think Kay is doing a fantastic job in terms of not just coaching X's and O's, but in terms of, how he's inspiring these guys in terms of how everyone's working together. It's just, again, it's just really cool to say. All right, so here's a question for you. They most they have the most steals in their first three games since what year? What do you think? Oh, man, I can't even begin to – I mean, do you want me to guess or do you want me to – Guess, I'll, I'll, I'll say before or after. 80s. We'll say a year. <laughs> 84. Uh, uh, later. 88. All right. Um, It's 2000s. Okay, so that, yeah, because, I mean, I feel like it's been, I mean, that's 20 years. I mean, that's a good significant chunk of time, so. Okay, when I say it's 2000, it's 2007. Okay. So still 13 years. That's plenty for me. Yeah, all right. So if it's 2007, it's interesting because I did say this team – better and more talented but uh i mean that 2017 that's a team i have given comparisons to for for this season and that team was not that was i don't want to say bad because i don't know i mean that team that team they they made the tournament but that was a team a duke team that struggled more than any other basically since k came back from his back surgery in the mid 90s i think they had eight acc losses so that team definitely struggled I think they lost it. What they lose to like VCU that time on uh, Mayner, Eric Mayner. I think he had a game winner. So uh, that that team is struggled, but that team they played hard. I mean, they played hard. That's another team where you just had to appreciate what they were doing at the time, and they played their ass off. So most steals, I think it's 34 in the first three games since the 2017. Here, here's something super important. Only only me would notice this. Uh, Jordan Goldwire, he looked like he got a haircut for the uh, for the Arkansas game, and uh, immediately uh, made me think like that's interesting because normally the Duke players are known for getting haircuts for big games, but Jordan Goldwire got a haircut for this game, and I was thinking like he's 
he hasn't really looked good, to be honest, in in the first couple of games. He came out with with uh, a whole ton of energy, by far his best game against Central Arkansas. Played really well, so hey, give credit to the haircut. That's what I'm saying. Um, in terms of really something that I don't want to say developed, but something that made has made a uh, obvious big difference is simply converting live ball turnovers directly into points, even transition into points. I mean, he, the, th- the interesting thing here, all right, so you got after Colorado State, 35.7% of Duke's overall shots were coming in transition. It's th- they took more shots in transition than in any other uh, fa- facet of their offense. 53.7% of those transition attempts were from three. It's a lot. The field goal percentage on those threes, 13.6%. So when so transition more than anything else they do. Three-pointers in, in the transition more than any other shot in transition. And the field goal percentage is, ugh. I mean, Alex O'Connell in transition on eight possessions, he had one point, and he used 0 for 7. So it's interesting right there. And after Carkinsaw, it went down to 34.4% overall shots coming in transition. 46.8% uh, of those transition attempts were from three. And the field goal percentage on those uh, threes, 27.6. So even just that little bit, get better shots and then kind of work for the, for the best shot. Don't force it. And I, I don't know if there's one thing they, they ran differently on the transition or if it was just confidence or what, but it's just that was huge because they're trying to run every time. And if the thing you do most is the thing that you're least efficient at, obviously that's going to be a problem because the half-court offense has actually been a lot better than than uh, most thought or maybe I thought it would be because they're working so well. I mean, like I said, it looks like a real offense. So, I mean, they were up tw- uh, 32 to 26 with 218 left in the first half against Colorado State. 10-0 run to end the half uh, for 42-26. Then ended up really quickly 73-37 uh, with 847 left. So, before you knew it, it was a 41-11 to run in about 13-30. And, I mean, you could just see, like, when things start to snowball, I think that's when the other team, you can just see it like Duke just keeps coming. And if you can't really hold your ground, it's going to be a long day. And you can see Central Arkansas, they came out, they looked ready. But, I mean, you could just see them. It's just it's intimidating to just see Duke keep coming at you and come full court. It's wild. So it was just really, I think that made absolutely a huge difference i think one of uh, a big factor at the end of colorado state i mean javin actually had a play at the end of the half when he stole the ball and he got hit hard i think he like went like head over heels um and he made a free throw at the end but just like that was finally it, it, it just gave them energy and javin made another big play in central arkansas because even even at that point in time it just still it was kind of they weren't getting enough conversions. I mean, when you go through it, all right, so Kansas first half, uh, 650. Uh, O'Connell, he stole the ball ahead to Trey for a layup. Kansas second half, 1205. Trey come from behind steal, pass ahead to Stanley for the jam. Kansas second half, uh, 950. Jack White intercepts a pass, as lone defender on three and one break, passes to Trey ahead to Cassius for a corner three. So with all those turnovers against Kansas, there was only three live ball turnovers that led directly to points. Colorado State, like I said, the Javin play at the end of the half, 48 seconds left. Um, then with 18-14 uh, left, AOC steal to, to uh, Stanley for the dunk. 13-11 left, more steal in the layup. And 9-34 left, Joey Baker picks the pocket. Loose ball goes to Moore in for the fast break layup. So with all those turnovers in the first two games, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven live ball turnovers leading directly to points. And I mean, they need to be more efficient in that area. And a lot of these shots are coming op- They're getting open shots. When they take the three, it's not like I can say it was a bad shot. They're wide open. It's just a matter of believing that, hey, they're, they're bound to go in at some point. So, I mean, even just for a game and a half, Kansas in the first half, there was very few points. There was, uh, let's see, two. 
two and three, three, seven, eight total points off live ball, directly off live ball turnovers in a game and a half. But once it kind of, I guess you could say broke the seal, Colorado State second half, then it's on. I mean, Central Arkansas, I mean, still like in the first half, took, took a couple minutes, but you just have to let like Wendell Moore, he's one of the guys who started the season struggling in transition finishing. He's getting better. You just have to it's, – it's all about the long run with these guys and understanding that this type of defense is going to wear opponents down, or that's what at least you're hoping. So even though it might not be obvious at first, it's about, uh, to quote a cliche, trusting the process. An- another thing, it's interesting because usage, shot percentage. That's something that I think is uh, – it's not really a concern or talked about much at all by most people right now. I'm really interested to see what happens in closer games because that's when we'll really see if, I guess, uh, who is going to get the ball when it matters most. Because right now, how do you think the – do you think there's a couple guys getting huge – shot percentages, big usage rates, or do you think it's split more evenly? I mean, based on the box scores and and how we have a bunch of guys in double figures and stuff, it seems like things are are spread pretty pretty even across the board. Yeah, I mean, right now it's it's just it's crazy because you have, I mean, what, you have uh, let's see, I mean, pretty much everyone is between like twenty and 26%, somewhere around there. I'll say, like, possession rate, which kind of shots, turnovers, free throws. Like, Wendell Moore, 29.1 percentage. You have Trey Jones, 24.7. Javin, 24.2, because they're really trying to work inside against smaller guys. Matthew Hurt, 21.8. Alex O'Connell, 20.6. Vernon Carey, 23.5. So it's it's just interesting because you have a guy – like Cassius Stanley, and you're like, what? Why is he down there Does he at miss? 18.5? And I think it's just because Kay really wants to develop certain guys and get them to be more aggressive. I think somebody like Matthew Hurt, I'm not going to say he was the opposite of aggressive. I don't, I don't want to say he was timid or anything. And I don't want, uh, but I think Kay just wanted him to come out more aggressive and just work to get him more shots. Vernon Carey. Same thing. And uh, Wendell Moore wants him to play through mistakes. He wants to develop confidence. Cassius Stanley, he's confident. He doesn't need that. I mean, it would be nice to see him get more, but especially when you're just murdering these opponents, I think it's it's okay. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens as Duke plays more close games because they're not gonna they're sure not gonna win every game by what they did against Arkansas. I can. I can guarantee that. So, yeah, I, I mean, just in terms of the usage rate, it's very, it's very even right now, and it's just interesting to see Cassius Stanley a little bit further down. Yeah. All right. Uh, ne- next subject. What is trending? I mean, this is kind of super early season. This is just who knows what's going to happen. But I, I find it just as interesting to call myself out for what I might be wrong about. As, as something like, hey, I already gave myself credit for Vassal for, or Vassell from Florida State, and there is some stuff I definitely called right about this team so far, but it's still super early. But in terms of what, and you can say after I'm done what you might have thought that you were wrong about, if anything, what is trending towards being super wrong? For me, 100% Vernon Carey footwork. His fouls are really mostly swiping his big bat wings up and down. The footwork, though, is beyond impressive. Beyond impressive. My potential worry is that his footwork could present, like, Jaleel Okafor type of problems, which I mentioned in the season preview. I mean, it's laughable. His footwork is absolutely incredible. There was a play against Colorado State where he he stuck with a guard all the way down in transition. I mean, the way he hedges out, I compared it to, like, a Mason Plumlee type. His footwork is fantastic. And I can't give him enough credit for that. And man, was I, I mean, it's trending towards just crazy wrong, especially with some of these teams that are mid-majors, which have smaller bigs, but bigs who can shoot from outside, who Kerry's going to have to 
he has to make decisions of when to stay down low and when to close out. You know, I mean, he's just, he's really, really impressed me with his footwork. The other thing where I said, we'll, we'll kind of have to say, I don't expect an 11-man rotation. I mean, Justin Robinson kind of seems to be, I, I will still stick to what I said, kind of use use when necessary, but I don't see him consistently being in there. I think depending on the way that team shoots from outside, I do see some promise from Joey Baker. Who knows what it'll lead to, if anything. But just the way that Kay has, has what he said before the season, at least looks to be in line right now. I mean, I've, I mentioned plenty of times, including on that offseason rotation deep dive, that we'll see how it really ends up once gets deep into the ACC season and towards the end of the end of the year. But I think Joey Baker, his outside shooting can give Duke another weapon if he can be trusted on defense. And his defense needs work, but I think the same way Wendell Moore is benefiting from second halves when Duke is up by a lot, I think Joey Baker is as well. And he looks confident out there. I will say, like, there were some early possessions against Colorado State where I thought it's just – He's making it too obvious he doesn't want to shoot. He's he's just kind of there to set screens and be a passer. Now I see him starting to actually kind of believe in his offense more and to take chances and take more risks and not worry so much about, hey, what if I make a mistake? So Joey Baker is somebody who I didn't really believe that he would have any chance of a consistent spot in the rotation. Now I'm to a wait and see approach when I, when I watch him. And uh, yeah, so that's the thing. Vernon Carey footwork and Joey Baker is a wait and see. So is there anything, I mean, again, early in the season, but through three games where you're like, whoa, I was way off on that. I thought my, I believe what I was saying before, I thought that the main issue for this team this year would be the fact that we didn't have a true go-to guy down the stretch. But I think that that's actually played into our hands more than it's hurt us. And again, obviously the competition has not been great, but just shows us to we look much more versatile than teams we've had in the past. I thought because we didn't have a Zion or because we didn't have a clear closer like a RJ or that, that we'd be in trouble not having a true go-to guy. But I feel like, any of these guys at, at a certain moment could step up and be that guy. So I, I think I was completely wrong and just assuming that because every other team we've had has had a major contributor, that if we don't have a 25-plus scoring player, we're going to struggle. And I've been very, very encouraged of what I've seen just as a whole on the offensive end from this team. So, And, and you mentioned Justin Robinson. I guess – he just got named a captain on Thursday or something like that of last week. Kay made him a captain, said he's the most trusted guy in the locker room and stuff. So I think a lot of getting him in the game and getting him some playing time is also just a, I don't know, a kid obviously works his tail off. So just having that, you know, presence on the team. I, this team is special in the sense that they all truly seem to have one goal and don't really care. Not that the other teams cared in the past of their stats and stuff like that, but just it doesn't seem to have many any egos or anything. And, and I mentioned that the main thing that would hurt us, again, is a lack of a go-to scorer. But, I mean, to this point, I think I might be wrong in a sense that I don't think it's going to matter. I mean, that's pretty tough to tell from when Duke's winning by 100. I think Justin Robinson... I'm just saying I mean, in general. Yeah, Justin Robinson got playing time because Duke was up by 1,000. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, when it's closer, we'll see if he can be... If K still puts trust in him, and hopefully he does. But, uh, yeah, the go-to score, I mean... Uh, I, I will mention, like... I mean, Cassius Stanley at the end of that Kansas game, he, yeah. he, he, he really showed he wanted it. It was like 2.30 left when uh-huh. he came around and with a, and just took it to the hole and scored and won. I mean, that's something we're like, that's that's a dude who just wants the moment. So that, that gave me hope in terms of the last two games. I don't know how it's possible to find out anything about whether you have or don't have a go-to score, but the Kansas game, Stanley at least uh, gave hope for uh, that possibility. All right, when, uh, a couple things. Uh, Wendell Moore, 
when Trey did get when Trey got knocked on the head and had to go out, I think that's when we saw there had been hints that Wendell Moore would be the backup point guard, like the official backup, official unofficial backup point guard, and he was running, initiating the offense. Jordan Goldwire was kind of still the sidekick, and I mean you had seen glimpses of the glimpses of that, so it became reinforced there. And I think with Wendell Moore's defense. I don't think it's a matter of uh, I mean just the, these guys how they how they defend individually and collectively as a team. I think that's why Jordan Goldwire was so vital last season because he could just provide something different and be trusted. I think with Wendell Moore and Stanley, I think when they can give offense as well and Goldwire he he gives some offense against Arkansas, but I think Wendell Moore and Stanley have a obviously much higher ceiling. I think it was probably a good thing in the long run again for Wendell Moore to be the backup point guard if that really is the case. All right, next, uh, mid-range guys. Duke hasn't had, I mean, I've mentioned Kennard a bunch, Luke Kennard, for a guy who I consider one of the best mid-range guys Duke has ever had, probably the best. Um, Now they have a bunch of guys who can hit. I'm not saying that's going to be the shot they should take all the time because, I mean, it's not analytically the best, but still, I mean, Trey with that rise and fire, I mean, that's something where I mentioned how Kay was trusting him to shoot off the bounce more, which was just a huge sign for a point guard because he doesn't allow point guards to do that much. And we've seen how now, man, that has really come to fruition. That that jumper from Trey, I mean, a couple, a couple feet back, it's a, it's a little risky from three-point land from Trey. But it just goes to show how important it is not to overreact to stupid things like a blue-white scrimmage or anything like that. And how I said, like, there's a lot of emotion going on at Countdown to Craziness where, like, Trey's, like, he can't, he's not even coming close on shots. Because, I mean, these, these mid-range shots he's making now are just really fantastic. Stanley, he has a runner, which is just, it's so smooth from the mid-range. O'Connell can hit from the mid-range. Hurt. I think they're really working him from the elbow more. He can hit from the mid-range. So, I mean, that's that's four guys right there. And it's just it, it's another option, and it just shows the variety of this team. Uh, something I didn't mention in past podcasts this season, Trey's left-hand finishing. I've talked about that. I talked about that a lot last season. And this season I've mentioned Cassius and Vernon's skill of finishing with the opposite hand a ton. I actually don't think I've mentioned it about Trey. And I definitely should have because, I, I did, like I said, I did last season, and he showed it last season. I said that's one thing. Like, right away I could see Tyus didn't do that. He couldn't do that. He, and I'm not sure if he's developed it better in the NBA, but Trey finishing with the opposite hand, he had that ability immediately in college. So having, having that with three players is great. Having that with three players who are going to be on the court a lot together it's just it's another weapon, and it's just something to keep in mind when you watch this team. Uh, Trey, he's ranked number two in the ACC in percentage of the times running pick and roll. It's something which I'm going to keep an eye on closely, no matter how many games, whatever sample size. He's running it on 61 of his possessions, and uh, I mean, again, second in the ACC, so Case, he's, he's still using it. I love it. It brings action to the half-court sets. And it's interesting because Courtney uh, Ramey, or Ramey of Texas, if that's how you pronounce it, he he actually runs it us 82.6% of the time. Pretty much every Texas half-court possession, he's running it. So that's just something because Duke, they they have a good chance. What is it? uh, Do they play Thursday and Friday or Friday and Saturday in that 2K Classic? I'm not sure. I think think it's Friday. In the past, it was Friday and Saturday, but... Whatever their first game is, is against Cal, and then they play winner of Texas-Georgetown. So the defense, uh, I mean, Courtney Ramey, Ramey, he is going to be running plenty of pick and roll, so there better be good communication there. Um, another thing, just kind of putting it out there, Javin Delorier is unbelievable, never gets enough credit, and it is the reverse. Uh, I will try to avoid mentioning the old Twitter machine as much as possible, man. Duke Twitter hates Javon Delorier, and I just, oh, I, I just hope he never checks social media, because it, I don't. Let me ask you. And I'm not saying you in any way relate to Twitter or kind of represent or anything like that. Why do you feel that 
people on Twitter? Or do you think it's beyond Twitter? Do you think it's the majority? Why do you feel that Javin Delorier does not get the appreciation that I feel he deserves? I mean, to be honest, I think it's lack of knowledge of the game. A lot of people that are going on social media are making comments, and those are people who have either never played basketball or don't understand the intricacies that go into basketball. I mean, like I mentioned in the past, I'm a baseball guy. I've played baseball my whole life. I grew up, I played college baseball. Some people don't understand baseball. So they're like, oh, that guy can't hit, or that guy can't do this. They don't understand what they bring to the table. Like Javin brings, Javin's not that sexy type of player. So everybody likes to see the flashy dunks and the crossovers and the step back three. I mean, that's not Javin. Javin brings everything to the table that you can ask for as a coach. So anybody who, who understands the game or understands the analytics of the game understands like I have I've bashed Javin in the past for only one thing and one thing only, and that was his outrageous foul rates. I mean, the fact that he was just he was on the court, and the minute he stepped on the court, he had two fouls, and it was just you know. And he seems to have turned the corner on, in that area, but I mean, he brings so much to that team in terms of energy and knowledge, and I don't know. I mean, Twitter people are you know everybody everybody's an expert from from this seat of their pants at home so uh, i will say though that there's a there's a good portion of uh when i said i shouldn't have just said duke twitter it's just it's like there's a good portion of the media who feels the same way mm-hmm. and i'm not just saying it seems like that like they will like it's because it's not just like i mean if somebody makes a mistake sure critique them although i never will want to go to a personal level but like the people who like they get pleasure out of like mocking Javon Deloria, I mean, his brother actually responded to, I actually lashed out on a tweet last year where I was just like, everyone who doesn't understand how important and how well Javon Deloria is playing right now is like around the ACC tournament time. I'm like, you guys just don't even know what you're talking about. And just like, shut up. Like if you, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that people get so much pleasure out of ripping a guy from a team they claim to like, especially when it makes no sense. The guy's playing unbelievable and i mean I, there's plenty of stats like he uh he missed a layup from uh trey against colorado state one that he should have made and i will i'm the first person to say that like i will admit like he should have made that layup but like immediately it was it was just crazy the backlash like and the celebration of like mocking him i'm like do you guys not understand javin delorier tied with zion last year in highest field goal percentage at the rim he was somebody who really developed an ability to dive to the basket off the pick and roll and catch from RJ and make unbelievable catch and finish at the rim. Like this is a guy that's like, I mean, the stats agree. I mean, I feel like you should be not you specifically that like you should be able to see it just in terms of what he provides to the team on offense and defense, but the stats agree. So it's like when everything kind of leans one way, how, how it, I don't know. It's just that weird group think mentality. I mean, there was a play against uh what was it i I think uh, northern colorado he kind of passed from trey it's like right before the half or actually no it it was central arkansas and it was right before the under 16 timeout i don't have the exact time it's 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 amazing when i have clips from every possession I, i can see it now he i mean it was just such an unbelievable catch and finish and it just showed like his hands i mean from what they used to be i mean he his hands used to be a little questionable i mean what you said about the foul rate um during the maui invitational i I kept a running tab on his foul rate it was like seven fouls in like 12 minutes and it was just unbelievable i mean just but just in terms of his improvement from kind of what what he was against like kansas in 2018 the tournament it's it's just really cool to see and i think he should be recognized for that although i do understand likely won't be all right, um, another guy under the radar, kind of down under with his uh, his Vegemite sandwiches, Jack White. J- Jack White, someone just like scoring doesn't make a difference. He's just he's, he's going to do what he does, and Jack White's awesome. So, uh, I mean, when when it's obvious like the Kansas game, yeah, some people will notice, but it often won't be. And uh, that's kind of the time when I like to uh, give him a little shout out because he's still there. He's still there helping the team in every possible way. 
Um, Castro Stanton, here, here's a stat. In the second half of games, his points per possession is 1.93. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard of. Like 1.93. Every time he gets the ball and shoots, I guess uh, turnovers can even be included in that. I mean, turnovers is the only thing that's kind of uh, bringing that down. I mean, one point, he's, he's, every time, he, it's like two points, guaranteed two points. I mean, we thought we saw Zion was like the most efficient player ever. Zion, it's funny because Zion's first three games were insane as well. He barely missed. I think he missed like three shots in the first three games. Cassius, I mean, again, super low usage. But he's a guard. That's the crazy thing to me. I mean, Zion was, everything was a layup at the basket. He's a big guy. So Stanley's is more impressive to me in the sense that he's, starting with the ball away from the rim. I've always kind of, I understand why comparisons, like a lot of people don't like comparisons. And I used to say, like, I'll try to avoid it. I don't know. I, I like it. Just like everything, you need to be careful with it, though. You, you need to understand that a comparison doesn't mean every part of somebody's game is, is exactly like another player. But there's just things that, really bring memories of someone else or remind you of a certain style. All right, so this is what I said about Cash Stanley, and I'm actually, like, pretty comfortable with this at this point. I usually don't say anything like it so soon. So I, I said, Cash Stanley equals a more developed, fundamental version of freshman Elliot Williams with some bonus Rodney Hood-type smoothness and fluidity to his game. I mean, I, I just think that's – I mean, the more I kind of think about that, it's – how do, you, how do you feel about that? Again, a more developed, fundamental version of freshman Elliot Williams with some bonus Rodney Hood-type smoothness and fluidity to his game. I can see it. He He's just so under control all the time. That's why he's I never, give the Rodney Hood-type smoothness and yeah, fluidity. Yeah. He, he never, he's never – you're like, oh, is he moving fast or is he moving slow? No, he's just moving at – he's never ahead of himself, and I think that's what helps him – get to the spot he wants to get at, get the shot off that he wants to get at, and, and shoot at this crazy efficient um, pace that he's shooting at. I mean, I could see it. I mean, I I personally, obviously it's three games again. I don't want to go hot take or anything like that, but I think he's better than both those guys are. Like just by watching him right now, I just like watching his game more than those two guys. I feel I loved Elliot Williams. I personally on the record and you can ask people from the past i wasn't the biggest rodney hood fan i i liked rodney hood's game but i think i think it was just that tournament against mercer that put a sour taste in my mouth about that whole team that year so um just i just like i like stanley's game i think stanley is going to continue to improve and i just i could see the comparisons i just see him as more of a He's more dynamic than those two. I mean, Elliot was like crazy dynamic. Elliot was so he was. dynamic, he was out of control. That's the thing with Elliot. The defense that Cassius plays, I mean, that's the, the body type and the defense is what, what I think of with Elliot Williams. And then the next year, you look mm -hmm. at him when everything slowed down at Memphis, when he was averaging 20 points, it was just a monster. That's why I said freshman Elliot Williams. The Elliot Williams we saw mm -hmm. at Duke with Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood, I think we're still waiting to see with Cassius in terms of how and what, how if he if he's going to be able to create for his teammates and if he can consistently hit from outside. Again, it's just such a small sample size of actually playmaking, but everything's look good. But Rodney Hood could create for others, and I mean there was more variety to his game. But Rodney Hood's the energy level in terms of the consistency of that was off and on. But uh, the smoothness, that's why I say that. I don't think about it as much of who is better, who is worse. I'm talking about style when I give those comparisons. And so that's kind of where I was with that. Like who's um, Small sample size without context. Here's where we get fun with uh, early season. The Mike Buckmeyer effect on Duke's defense. Mike Buckmeyer on Duke's defense. Let's check it out. Uh, stats, because stats never lie. Duke's defense gives up 0.72 points per possession with lineups not having Mike Buckmeyer in it. Duke's defense with Mike Buckmeyer gives up 0.22 points per possession. Mike Buckmeyer makes Duke elite on defense. Free Mike Buckmeyer. That, that's all I'm saying about that. 
Don't worry about the sample size or how Duke's, how Duke's doing on offense with him. All I'm saying is Mike Buckmeyer makes Duke a lead on defense. It's time to bench Trey Jones for Mike Buckmeyer. And that sums up my, uh, my thoughts there. All right. Trey's on-off. That It's really funny because if you look at the on-off, points per possession offense, points per possession defense, all that, Duke is Duke is better without Trey Jones. That's what that's that's why it's so funny to see this and how people love to use those plus minus and all all kinds of stupid stats with small sample sizes for individual and don't involve context and who they're playing with and the system and all that. It's it's just stuff like that's really funny to me that if you actually look at the stats right now through three games, Duke is better without Trey on the floor, which is nonsense. Um, another, another thing, Alex O'Connell. Alex O'Connell is a four of five this season when guarded on jump shots. He's 0-4 when unguarded. Should teams just not guard him? And that doesn't even include transition where he's wide open and misses. So, so how, how do you feel about that? Do you think teams should their their game plan should be don't guard O'Connell? I mean, based on those stats, sure, but I, I – Numbers never lie. He's... Numbers never lie, Joe. You're right. You're right. Me being a math guy, of, of course, I should know that better than anybody. So they – some guys, it's weird. Some, Like, again, I am not comparing myself to Alex O'Connell by any stretch of the imagination. But I play basketball. I've always been a good shooter. I don't quite have the vertical that he showed yesterday. I'm working on it at 5'8". But um, – he, like some people just are uncomfortable shooting open shots because they think too much or they, some guys just like to catch and shoot. And, and, and he seems to be exactly that type of player, but and it, it's weird. There's certain people who just, the longer they have to set up, the worse their shot is going to be. And it seems that O'Connell's one of those guys. I would just say it's small sample size and I don't think it means anything. All right. So uh, D- defense. If you had to guess, who do you think has given up the lowest percentage on defense? So who is technically, by way of guarding shots, who is Duke's two best defenders? Actually, no, let me say, because Cassius Stanley is number two by that measure. So number one and three. Wendell Moore and... No. Okay. Vernon Carey. No. So Jack White and Deloria? No. Neither one of them? No. Is it Alex O'Connell? No. Okay, then. I mean, it leaves two players, so. <laughs> this, see, this is how stupid these, I mean, especially defense, individual defensive stats, because, like, just guarding a shot, like, who knows what went into that? Is Buckmeyer one of them? <laughs> I, I wish. Actually, technically, yes. Uh, opponents are 0 of 1 against him, so. He's elite. Um, He's never let up a basket ever this year. So Matthew Hurt is in the 99th percentile. Opponents are shooting O of 8 against him. To me, he struggled on defense. It looks like he doesn't know where to be some. He's improving, and he's given a lot of effort. But, yeah, opponents are shooting O of 8 against him. He ranks in the 99th percentile, gives up .1 points per possession. On 10 possessions, he's given up one point. Um, The other is Joey Baker. Uh, on 10 possessions, he's given up five points, so that's a 0.5 uh, PPR. I mean, sorry, PPR uh, points per possession PPP uh, ranks in the 83rd percentile. So you got Joey Baker and Matthew. Ert. I mean, it just goes to show. I just find the stuff like this entertaining because if people just point to stats without understanding them, it just goes to show how ridiculous they are. Joey Baker's had some issues as well. Like I said, he's improving, but those two guys aren't the number one and number three defenders on Duke. I will, I will say that. The last thing before I get to the final topic, is it is it just kind of random, or do you think Joey Baker chose his jersey number as a Baker's dozen to make us all think deeply? The ba- was he thirteen? He is thirteen. The Baker is wearing Baker the Baker's dozen. dozen, and I think that's fascinating. I think I think we should uh, really talk about that for the next two hours. I agree. I think we should do just a separate like an emergency pod after. Just based on Baker and his jersey number. Is he playing number, mind games with us? He might be. He might be. But as long as he keeps shooting a jumper, I'm good. I'm happy. with what He can wear whatever number he wants. 
All right, so so this is where like I actually initially th- I thought of this like it's a legit thing, but then I was like, oh, because I I don't I'm not the type to hot take it. Like I don't even know how to hot take. It makes me uncomfortable. Like it does, it won't sound natural if I do, but there is something that if I said it a certain way, it could come off as a hot take, and it's not. But I will introduce something that's just really interesting to think about. Who who would you consider in Duke history? It's your opinion. There is no set thing. Who do you think has has been like the best defensive backcourt for Duke? Because me, I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly how good Jason Williams was alongside like Duhon. I mean, they were really good, but I'm not sure if you could call it elite. Who who else is there? There's Dawkins and Amaker. It's hard. I mean, it, we've always had one good one and one suspect one. Okay, so it seems so. Cassius Stanley and Trey Jones, dude, they might be the best defensive backcourt in the Coach K era. And I almost want to say, I almost want to go to a level more than might. And we're going three games. So again, I understand how that comes off as a hot take. I don't think it is. They might like. I don't know, man. Like the like Cassius Stanley. There's plays like. There was a play against Colorado State where he literally switched like three times, guarded a man all the way from the from uh, the, all the way to the half court, switched multiple times, was guarding for the entire shot clock and made the stop. I mean, what he does is unbelievable. I, I, when I mentioned Duke, do they have guys who will talk? He's become very vocal, very fast, and I didn't see that at first. And he's much more comfortable now, and the anticipation in terms of the way. Him and Trey play off each other. They seem to know where each other are going to be. It's 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 eerie the way they work together in unison. I don't know, man. I mean, this is this could be this this is the, this is the best backcourt at Duke. I'm I I'm not I'm not thinking of a better backcourt than them. And and again, we've mentioned it's only three games, but what the versatility that both of them bring on the on that side of the the. the uh, on that side of the ball, I mean, they're, they're fun to watch, man. And it's the little things. When you watch each play over and over again, it's the little things they both do. They're in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Trey Jones, he doesn't have the steals this year. So if that's all people are looking for, I mean, I, I mentioned before the season how Trey steals have been done. It's a very noisy stat, individual steals. There's a lot that goes into it. So you have to recognize that. I mean, Cassius has a bunch of steals, but – there's stuff going on everywhere. It's the way they play and the havoc they cause. Every single possession, the way everyone else can play off them. It's almost like, uh, all right, here's something where uh, this could backfire if you say the wrong thing. But um, in football, what do, you, what do you think is more important, a, uh, a stud defensive line or a stud secondary? I mean, I think it's a stud defensive line. Thank you. I was, I, was, I was hoping that's what you said because I mean it, no because yeah they can mask any issues in the in the secondary you know if the quarterback get, doesn't have time have to, to throw if there's pressure on them every time doesn't matter who's guarding yeah right. I, I mean the the secondary doesn't have to stick with them as long and they can cheat on the throws the throws won't be as accurate or have as much on them because the quarterback's under pressure or there's no way the running back's going to get through they can blitz more and that's the thing I mean like. Duke's front line can get away with not being as good, and I'm not saying they're not as good, but with what Trey and Cassius do up top, it's nuts, man. Like, it can be a Band-Aid if necessary, and it hasn't been a Band-Aid because it's not necessary because everyone's really playing well right now, and I think it, it really does start with guys like Trey and Cassius who can guard all the way down the court, and yeah. So uh, I don't know if anyone else has mentioned it. I sure haven't heard it, but uh, Trey, Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, potentially the best defensive backcourt in the K era, Duke. All right, anything else you want to add? 40 chances. No, I mean, best backcourt out of 40 chances. I mean, that's pretty good pretty good company to be in if you're Trey and, uh, and Cassius. But no, I mean, I... I'm I'm very again. We have not played great competition. We played Kansas, and we haven't really Colorado State. We played as you would like to call them, the Car Kansas. But we have 
and another game that's obviously winnable on Friday. So as of Monday morning, when we wake up as Duke fans, we we should again be number one in the country after what happened to Kentucky. And not doesn't mean anything. It's good to have that, and, and we'll see how they respond to that, you know, type of ranking. But at this team. I'm pleasantly surprised through the first three games and, and, and they're enjoyable to watch and they play hard and they just, it's just a different style of basketball that I've missed over the years. So I'm just glad to have that greatest backcourt in the K era to watch. And I don't know, I'm just pleasantly surprised and happy with, with the progress so far through the first three. All right. So to sum it all up, I still believe that K needs to bench Trey for Mike Buckmar. But uh, that that's a whole other story. I, I'm a... Well, they would be even better, wouldn't they? Because Buckmeyer hasn't let up any points this year. So if they put Buckmeyer in. I just got to make the Buckmeyer hive happy. Uh, here's him. Without, with uh, the the knight, Sir Keenan Worthington, he's redshirted. And Michael Savarino, Kay's grandson, he's uh, redshirted. So, hey, we, we, besides the rest of the rotation, you only got one option. Give me, my, my boy's going to get time. He's going to get so much playing time, and I am going to be all about it. All right, so that, that sums up everything now. i um, not sure whether uh, we'll record again uh, after one game to kind of preview the 2K Classic. Probably not, maybe. Uh, and it is a Thursday-Friday, by the way. The the California game, the Cal game's a Thursday. The next day's Friday. It's a Thursday-Friday next week. Yeah, so I think that's going to be interesting in terms of uh, getting tested by uh, – hopefully tested. I mean, I'd rather they not win by a ton. I'd rather them get tested um, as long as it's legit. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But as I said at the beginning, and I will continue to say, this team is just really fun for me as someone who game to game analyzes what's going on and the development. I don't know. I, I love it. there's going to be ups and downs, but right now, they've really given tons of reasons for excitement. So for uh, Joe Gaudio, I am Adam Comroe. Thank you so much for listening to the Duke Basketball Corner podcast. Again, check out DukeBasketballCorner.com. Just went live, and I will be talking to you soon.